You know, one of the greatest ways to uh, have Christ magnified in you is to be a giver like him. You know, we were just watching that little video, and uh, um, I think, you know, that was the biggest lesson I think that that, uh, Jet learned in it was that he missed out on something. And I think that we miss out on something when we're not like Jesus. Uh, He wants us to be like him. That's what Paul was trying to do, you know, for the moment that uh, he met Jesus on that road to Damascus was to be like Jesus, to reflect him. We're going to look at uh, a passage of scripture that Paul wrote uh, while he was on that journey in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to read through 6 through 15, uh, which is actually what, you know, Lori's fourth grade class where their memory work came out of. It says this, the word of God says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread to for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to god for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By this approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks to Be to God for his incredible gift. You know, giving is always a topic that I think makes people nervous when we talk about it. In fact, I think that at times it makes people just flat out mad uh, to have the conversation. But the fact is that God has a lot to say about giving in the Bible. Probably one of, if not the, number one topic that is being taught. And it's because... Something about our giving directly reflects the value we put on things. You know, like it reveals our hearts. Um, And, uh, you know, where your heart is, there is your treasure, kind of thing, like Jesus says. And Jet was portraying something that I think takes place in a lot of our hearts, and that is that uh, he didn't understand that, that rejecting an opportunity to give to other people was also actually robbing himself of something amazing um, that he felt like he was missing out on. And I know it was just a story, but the reality is is that it's something that is being lived out all the time in people, uh, where we just miss opportunities and therefore we miss blessings. What's interesting is that giving is one of the paradoxical things, you know, like teachings that the Bible uh, gives. Uh, and, the, and the Bible is always doing these, these 
paradoxical things. In other words, it looks like it ought to be the opposite, but it's not. Uh, the truth is. And so it goes against common sense. And, and the thing about giving, giving requires having a faith in God's word and having a faith in God himself that what the world is telling us and teaching us is not actually true. It's actually the opposite that is true, right? The world tells us that it's better to keep your stuff then you'll have more stuff and you'll have more like uh, comforts and you'll have more security and things of that sort. But the Word of God tells us it's the opposite. If you want to really have security and comfort and and uh, uh, you know joy, then give your stuff away. Or to be generous at least. Um, the world says, you know, the more that you're concerned about yourself, uh, the more that you will uh, reap for yourself. But the Bible says the opposite. If you, if you want to reap for yourself, you have to give away yourself. And so there's just all these paradoxes that we find in Scripture. Here's a couple of them. One is in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. He who wishes to save his life, what do they do? If they want to save their life, what do they do? They lose it. But that doesn't make sense, does it? If you want to save your life, you lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. It's a paradox. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. If anyone wants to be first, then he has to butt in line, right? Now, anyone who wants to be first, the scripture says, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So if you want to be first in the kingdom, then you have to be willing to serve other people and to put yourself lower than other people. That definitely doesn't seem like that it ought to be that way, right? Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I believe that that to be true. Don't you, church? But it doesn't seem like it ought to be true. It doesn't seem like that, you know, if you give, then it'll be given back to you, pressed down, running over abundantly more, like you can't outgive. You know, the greatest gift we have is not to give of our money, though. Now, the world values money. We value money. We realize that we have money. We are able to trade it for things and things that bring comfort and stuff like that. And it seems pretty important. I think it is pretty important. But the reality is, is that there's something that is even more important than giving money. And I would say one of those things would be giving of ourselves. Giving of ourselves has more value than giving of our money, right? At least to us Americans who have an abundance of it. But I think that there's even something greater than given of yourself, although that's a, a great commodity or a great thing to offer someone. And I think the greatest thing that we have to give away is, is Jesus and his kingdom. Like, I think that is like the most valuable thing, right, church? That we can offer anybody. Because now all of a sudden we're not offering something temporal, we're offering something that is eternal. Something that it will last, not just in this life, but a life to come. And this is what we believe as Christians. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, 
It says, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay, paying, give without pay. In other words, he was setting them all up. You got something that is of value now, and that is the kingdom of God. And you didn't get it because you purchased it or created it or anything like that. You just, you got it because you found me. Now go out and give it freely. But he was talking about the value of this kingdom. He believed that this was a great commodity, a great thing to be able to share with another person. It's why Paul ends what we just read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, why Paul ends verse 15 with these words. He says, thanks be to the God for his incredible gift, exclamation mark. What do you think? Incredible or so-so? Amazing or, man, I wish I had something else. You know, you can only give what you have. That's what my grandma always says. You think that's true? I think that that's true. And I think that you can only give spiritual things if you have spiritual things to give. And I think that if you have something spiritual, it's not because you created it, you know, uh, manufactured it, uh, or, or, or made it in any way. It's because somebody come along and gave you something spiritually and now you have something that is of spiritual significance. And that's what Jesus has come. You know, he came and he gave us the kingdom of God. The keys to the kingdom, which is himself. And he has commanded us to go and to give it. You know, I don't see these boxes over here as, well, actually, they're kind of over there. These are boxes that are full of stuff that we're going to make these boxes over here to send to Haiti. But I don't see these boxes over here that we're going to actually finish with, the finished product, as boxes of trinkets where we just take a bunch of stuff and we stuff it into this box. No doubt, some do. They just see it as material gifts of some sort. But I can't help but see them as like spiritual boxes, trying to communicate the best that they can the love of Jesus and trying to help people see that there is a kingdom that will eventually take care of all your needs and not just temporary. It's not the best approach. I get that because I think that there's a better approach to sharing Jesus and the kingdom of God, but it is an approach. It is an attempt for people over here to share the love of Jesus with people over there. And I believe that when we make an attempt, no matter what it is and how small it is or how insignificant it might seem, as long as we are partnering with God, then this God can create something really significant to come out of these things. And so I do believe that what can happen is something spiritual can happen with just even a little box of trinkets. And that is if we give them in the the right attitudes and we're giving them the way that, you know, the class was trying to project, we give them because we love Jesus and we just want to be givers then I think Jesus somehow can, can transform what we do and, help, and, and allow other people from another country that don't even speak our language 
to begin to understand the love of Jesus and a little bit about his kingdom. You know, as Paul spent his life roaming, just from here to there, that's one, you know, we're going through the journeys of Paul, and man, I have just, I've gotten so much. I hope you guys have gotten something out of this, because I know I have gotten so much out of just walking through this and thinking about this on a weekly basis, about how, how Paul, how much effort. We were just looking up in the Sunday school classes, like, you know, the distance between Jerusalem and Damascus, which isn't even a fraction of the way to where he actually started his first journey, which was like up in Iconium and Derby and, and Lystra and, and things of that sort, which isn't even a fraction of the way to the other side where he ended up going. But the point is, is that just from Jerusalem to, to uh, Damascus was over 50-some miles. And they didn't have a, you know, a train or, or an automobile or anything. I mean, just his travel alone was great efforts, Right. But then every time he would eventually get there and he'd be worn out just getting there, then they would eventually beat him or, or not feed him or, I mean, put him in prison or whatever. Maybe that's why he didn't mind the imprisonment. Like, man, I finally get a rest. You know, I don't know, but it's just, it, it, it amazes me. Paul spent his whole life roaming from place to place, just seeking people to talk to them about Jesus and about this kingdom. That's the only thing he took with him. That was the message. That's what got him from one place to another place to another place. What got him to pick himself up, wipe off his blood, you know, to, to grab something as he's heading out to the next place to share Jesus. What caused him sometimes is to turn around and go right back to the place where they beat him and knows that he's probably going to be beaten again. It wasn't easy. And it wasn't that it wasn't easy because he couldn't find anybody that would listen to him. What we found is that there was always there was people eager to listen to him about Jesus and about this kingdom. What was the real difficult thing is that there was a whole lot of people that didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. And they just liked Jesus so much, they hated Paul because he taught Jesus. That's what was the real difficult thing. But Paul gave the kingdom to anybody and everybody that he encountered. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What is it that he got? He made all this effort and traveled all these long distances, and he spent his time, you know, just as a nomad. What did he get out of that? What motivated him to do this? It seems like, you know, that he really just didn't gain all that much. Almost seems like if we really thought about it, like, man, I think he would have been better off if he would have just stayed home. We talked about this last week. And just kept Jesus to himself. So what did he get from it? Well, he got a lot, but I want to start by just exploring with you just for a moment here what he didn't get. Okay, let's just think about that. What he didn't get. What he didn't get is he didn't get comfort. All he got was a lot of pain. And we're not going to have to go through this because we already have gone through this a whole lot. The, the passage in 2 Corinthians where he lays it out for us, but we know the pain that he received. He didn't get any comfort. Everywhere he went, it was just misery and it was just 
suffering in some sort. There was nothing fun, nothing enjoyable about these trips. These weren't, these weren't vacation trips to the Bahamas. So he didn't get any comfort. He just got pain. What, what he also, is he did not, what he didn't get, he did not get riches. He just got poverty. He barely made it by, right? And we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, it says, and this is where he was trying to, he, 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 remember that sermon that he had a whole lot of himself in the sermon? And we talked about that that's kind of an important thing, but this is what he said in that. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. What do you think he means by that? He didn't do it for the riches. He didn't covet anybody's gold, silver. He wasn't trying to go around and start a podcast that would make him rich. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In other words, he was a tent maker by profession, and it was something he could take on the road and, and just set up and make people's tents along the way. And he did it just so that he could get himself enough food and, and a, you know, just to get to the next place, just taking care of the necessities. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what Paul did. He just felt like it, it was a privilege to run around the countryside not for riches, but just for Jesus. So what he didn't get is he didn't get comfort. He just got pain. What he didn't get is he didn't get riches. He just got poverty. Another thing is he did not get any glory because he always turned it down. He could have gotten it. This is one of the things that he could have easily gotten, right? In Acts chapter 19, we read already before in verse 11, this is where um, Sean was reading to us. And he says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their disease left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Can you just imagine that? That Paul was doing such incredible miracles that just the things that he had touched or things that he had possessed ended up becoming that, have that much power within them. Now how much money or glory or fame could you have gained from having that kind of power. In fact, it was, remember that other time when they thought that he was like a god and they were chasing him around and wanted to make him like Zeus and all of these things? Paul was constantly right at the edge of becoming one of the most glorified, famous people in all of the land. And he was constantly having to push it away. There was people, though, that hungered for that kind of thing, right? Because in that passage I just read to you in Acts chapter 9, there were people who came out and they tried to manufacture that, right? They tried to convince people they had that kind of power. 
And so they went out to try to cast out this demon. And you know what the demon said to them? You remember that? When Sean was reading it to you, the demons turned and says, well, I know Jesus. The demon says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. Paul had the real power. And he could have taken that power and elevated himself to great, amazing places. But he never did. Do you know why he was in Ephesians, which is where Acts chapter 9 was written? He was writing a book to the Corinthians at the same time, and this is what he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. I did not baptize, I did, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And all Paul was doing there in the midst of that is, whoa, you can't be elevating us. This is only about one person, and that is Jesus. And so the point is, is that what Paul didn't get is he didn't get glory. And the reason he didn't get glory is because he turned down glory. He wanted all the glory to go to Jesus. So he, he did not get comfort. What he got was pain. He did, he did not get riches. What he got was no retirement. <laughs> he did not get fame. So why did he do it? And we could continue on with the list of what he did not get, but let's just jump to it. What is the reason that he did what he did? It's because of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And it's an incredible gift. And it's a gift that we have. And it's a gift that we can, at any moment in time, share with somebody else. This Jesus. And this kingdom. But do we? You see, I think we miss out on so much, just like Jet, because we have something right at our fingertips to give, and so often we miss the opportunities to give it. And we just like, I don't want to bother. Where Paul was like, I want to sacrifice. I mean, sometimes it's really not even about sacrifice on our, our part. It's just that we just don't want to bother with it, which is crazy. When there's so much that can be given back to us, and that's why the title of this message is You Reap What You Sow. And if you sow Jesus, you get so much back. Paul thought it was all worth it. Every journey, because he'd take a journey, he would come back, and after all of these bruises and beatings and everything that he suffered, he would share with them all that, he, that God was doing. And they were just marveling. Remember these encounters that they, he had with these people, the, the church in Jerusalem? And they would just marvel at everything that he did. And it would just motivate him to go do it again. 
And then he'd come back and he'd report and, he, and they would just marvel and he was just so filled, like he got something out of it that he had to go do it again. And I believe there would be a fourth missionary journey if, if he just had enough time and enough physical ability to do it again. I don't think he would ever have stopped because he was getting so much from it. And it's real easy to look like, man, he didn't get anything besides a beating from it. But he did. He found the one thing that is greater than all things. He found that one treasure that is hidden in the field that was just buried and everybody else probably just overlooked it or didn't understand the value of it. But he found it. And he thought it was amazing. And Jesus was so valuable to him that it was worth the pain, the poverty, the non-recognition, and just pushing it away. I want to read two verses to you, and we're going to wrap this up. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says this, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think the important thing about that is that he decided. We're just a decision away. And I really think that that was like what Jet was trying to confess, you know, up in my little office. And I know, again, that it's just an act, but it's something that is happening all the time, right? Is I think I did something wrong. What did he do wrong? He chose not to do instead of choosing to do. And what Paul is saying here is, for I have decided to know. And every time we have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to decide. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I can't tell you in the English word what that word actually means, but you can imagine. It's the lowest thing that you can think of. But he counts them all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which it comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. You see, Jet and Paul thought, Jet and Paul, let me just say it this way, Jet and Paul taught us the, a very important lesson. It is possible to miss out because we choose not to give from what we've received. And we have so much to give because we have been given so much in Jesus. And it needs to be our mission. When we go to work tomorrow, it needs to be our mission to give Jesus and to teach about the kingdom of God. When we sit around the dinner table, it ought to be our mission to talk about Jesus and talk about the kingdom of God. When we gather, whether it's just at the grocery store or down at Terabooth Coffee House, we need to make sure we bring Jesus up in the conversation and talk about the kingdom of God.
Because we've been given so much, and we have so much to talk about. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for this love that we have been given. And it is love that you have instructed us to give. It is Jesus. You have told us about a kingdom that is ours, that we get to have possession of it now, but it is a place that is a place that we will be going. And so we're kingdom people, but we're not in our kingdom yet. And help us, Father, to promote it like people from the kingdom would do. Father, help us see that this is so valuable, that Jesus is so valuable, that the kingdom is so valuable, that it is worth ridicule, rejection. It is worth giving up possessions just to share it. It's definitely worth making a shoebox of goodies. So help us, Father, just see things from your perspective. Help us see that we belong to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to do communion uh, this morning. And so I I just want to uh, quote a verse. And and there's a word that I'm going to stop. I'm not going to say the word. And you're just going to finish the, the quote, okay? Pretty simple. All right, so here we go. For God so loved the world that he... That's right. You guys know that? That's pretty amazing. For God so loved the world. The world that turned their back on him. The world that he had to almost destroy because they become so evil. The world that didn't choose him. He loved them so much anyway that he gave. That's a pretty amazing giver, isn't it? Somebody that gives not because they deserve it, but gives because they need it. And that's what God has done, and that's why we come around this table. We don't deserve this juice, and we don't deserve this little wafer that represents Jesus' blood in his body. We don't deserve it. But we got it anyway. And the only reason we got it is because we need it. And because we have a God that is generous. And he's a giver. And the moment that we decide to receive this gift that he has given us, Jesus Christ, The moment that we decide every week to pick up this cup and drink of this juice and eat of this cracker, vice versa, I suppose, but when we decide to do that, we are literally deciding to have Jesus, to just accept him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. It also is the moment that we have something that cannot just stay contained inside of us. He's got to come out. Jesus taught about this, right? What goes in a man doesn't just stay there. It comes out of him. 
people around us have got to see that we have Jesus. Giving is contagious, I believe. I believe that when you encounter somebody that has given you so much, you just instantly want to be like that. Because when they meet a need in you that, that you couldn't have met on your own, you're just like, man, I want to look for somebody that has a need that they can't meet on their own, and I want to give them what they can't do on their own, if you haven't. And we do. So Paul learned, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden he, he realized that only Jesus could feel what he was missing. And then he instantly became contagious. I mean, he became like Jesus. And he just went out and started telling people about Jesus. And it's a, it's a contagious thing that he started. We call it a movement. The way is what he calls it, right? The way. And we're still part of the way. And so the table was established for many reasons, but one of the reasons that I believe that it was established was to teach us about giving. So this was given to you at no cost to you. Well, that's not true. Yeah, that's kind of a complicated thing, isn't it? Like, it didn't cost you anything, but if you receive it, it costs you everything. Right? Like, it's free. Here, take it. But just know, if you take it, then it's going to cost you to live for him instead of for yourself kind of thing. And so just be reminded that this is pretty contagious stuff up here. And that it is intended to turn you into be like him, a giver. So that you give of Jesus everywhere you go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the juice and the wafer that represents Jesus' body and his blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Father, that you are such a giver, a giver of life, and that you've created us to be givers of life as well in the sense that we have Jesus and we have him to give to others. So, Father, may this just be a time of reflection as we partake of these emblems to reflect upon what we have received in Christ and what we have to give because of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.